We're preaching, we're continuing, this is the second part of a series that we're doing on faith out of Hebrews chapter 11. And Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says this. For those of you who were here two weeks ago, um, uh, you, you recall this, I'm going to review a little bit. Uh, what are you guys living with? You're telling me to be quiet or are you telling yourself to be quiet? Okay. Uh, <clears throat> I thought you were saying, shh. It's like, oh, it's your turn to preach, forgot. Um, yeah, be my guest. I'm already giving the second sermon of the morning. That wasn't that a sermon that, 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 uh, that gal preached? Praise God. The, um, uh, two weeks ago, we, we, we started this series, and then we're going to continue it in two weeks. Next week, one final advertisement. We're having Heart of the Cities here for the morning service and the evening service. How many of you have been to a Heart of the City worship celebration? Okay, quite a few of you. I'm telling you, if there's a ministry out there that is as perfectly in sync with our vision for what God wants the church to be, it's Heart of the City. With Dan and Sadie Adler, they used to be a lead worship at Open Door. They set out to do this ministry. Uh, it's about uniting the, the church around, uh, along uh, um, uh, economic and racial denominational lines. And they get together, and there is nothing like it. And God shows up. I mean, it is the power of God. Day of Pentecost kind of power shows up. And it unites the church, and it's beautiful. And they're going to be here on, uh, for our two worship services on, on, in the morning. And then at 5 o'clock uh, uh, next week in the evening, they're going to be here. And if it's at all possible for you to make it here, I encourage you to do that. Uh, you won't regret it. And you're joining into the kind of thing that God wants the church to be about, making it non-homogenous, praise God, uh, and, and, and uniting the one humanity that we have in Jesus Christ. So this week, faith, in two weeks, again, we'll pick it up. Last, or two weeks ago, we talked about how faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11, verse 1. It is the one place in the Bible where we actually have a definition of what faith is. Faith is the substance. The Greek word is hypostasis, uh, which means substantial reality. Faith is the substantial reality of things hoped for. It is the evidence. The Greek word is pragmaton, which we get the word pragmatic from it. It means uh, a visible or evident uh, or de demonstrable reality. Uh, faith is the, the, the substantial reality of the things that you hold for. It is the evidence and the demonstrated reality of the things that you do, do not see. It is different than mere belief. Now, sometimes in the Bible, belief and faith are used interchangeably, but it's helpful for us to distinguish between the two. Mere belief, a belief is simply something that you have. It's simply something that if someone asks you what do you believe, you'll tell them what you believe. But it doesn't have any substantial reality in your life. It doesn't make any difference in your life. If you ask me, I would tell you that I believe that the superposition of a quantum particle prior to its measurement is an ontological variant, not simply an epistemological variant. I would, I would tell you that. But you know what? If I change my opinion about that, you would never notice it. I'm probably not going to live a whole lot different. We have a lot of beliefs, uh, historical facts, theoretical beliefs, beliefs about the size of the universe, the age of the earth, or whatnot. But as long as they stay between the ears and never get translated into concrete experience and concrete action, they're mere beliefs. They're theoretical beliefs, abstract beliefs. Faith presupposes belief. But it goes beyond mere belief. Because it takes the belief and it makes it inside and outside a substantial reality. Inside and outside an evidence demonstrable reality. Faith is when you take a belief and it begins to get under your skin and you begin to think about it in concrete ways like a real, real thing. Heaven's not just a theoretical thing you might, might, thing you might happen. It's something you begin to see in your mind. You begin to picture it. It begins to affect the way you feel about things and the way you interact with things. It becomes a substantial reality, an evident reality, and now it begins to change your life. Faith presupposes belief, but it goes way beyond belief. What I want us to see here this morning is that everybody has beliefs and everybody has faith that is based on those beliefs. 
The option is, not, is really not whether or not you have faith. The option is what kind of faith do you have? And is that faith in line with reality? And do you have evidence for that faith? There are people out there, and there's quite a few people actually, who, who, who will tell you, oh, I don't have faith. Faith, faith is a crutch. You know, I debated this atheist uh, several months ago up at St. Cloud. And um, he would say that. He would say, um, well, faith, I, I, I don't have faith. I don't have any kind of faith. I just am a faithless person. I, I think faith is a crutch. It's for people who can't you know, handle reality. And, and I'm kind of putting words in his mouth, but that's his, his basic disposition. But see, the reality of the situation is this. Every belief that he denied presupposed a belief that he affirmed. And every faith that he denied presupposed a faith that he affirmed. When he says that he does not believe in God... What he's really saying is that he believes and has faith that the universe is godless. It's quite, a, quite an act of faith there. You can't prove that, of course, can you? You're going beyond the evidence now, aren't you? But you're, gonna, you're staking your life on the claim that the universe is godless. He doesn't believe that there's a creator, which means he thinks that you, time and chance can account for everything that you see around you. He doesn't believe that there's a designer, which means he does believe that uh, the design is a matter of chance. That's an act of faith. He's going to, as when he thinks about the world and when he interacts with the world and when he interacts with people, he's going to do it in such a way that he will demonstrate his belief that everything is a matter of time and chance without a purpose, without a meaning. There is no God. There is no creator. There is no final judgment. There is no absolute morality. He's going to live life that way. He may be wrong. It's an act of faith that he's taken. He's not faithless at all. He's full of faith. He's wagering everything on a hope that it turns out that there is no God. And if he's wrong, he'll wish he hadn't held that faith. And see, what I want us to see is this. He is the one, not believers in God, not people who have faith in God, he is the one who is believing against the evidence. At least that's what I would submit to you. Faith isn't a blind, it doesn't need to be a blind leap in the dark. Sometimes people you know, portray it like that. Oh, I don't want to think, I just have faith. No, faith, faith is better when you think about it. Faith is better when you look for evidence. Faith is better when, you, when you're looking for reasons. Faith is not a matter of believing something against the evidence. It's a matter of believing something, putting your trust in something, and, and transforming your life on the basis of something that you've got good reasons for belief. It is, I submit to you, the atheist who is believing against the evidence. He thinks he's believing on the basis of the evidence, but as a matter of fact, he's believing that there, there is no creator, but everything we know about matter would tell us that matter is not eternal. Well, where did the matter come from? Think about it. If matter can't be eternal, the second law of thermodynamics at least tells us that matter, which is simply reducible down to energy, it, en it ends up uh, running out. Well, if it can't be eternal, then how, and you can't get something from nothing, then how do we have matter? He's hoping, believing, putting his faith in the possibility, which is very remote on scientific terms, that the universe itself is eternal. But everything we know about matter would tell us that it's not eternal. So I feel very rational for believing that there's a non-material being who created the whole thing. What do you think? Amen. And he's believing that the whole thing is here. All the design that we see, the eyeball, the ear, the brain, all, the, all the, the design around us is here just by chance. It happened to evolve that way, yada, 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 yada. But you wouldn't explain the design of my watch that way, would you? Why do you explain the design of my eye that way? Think about it. Design usually, if not always, presupposes that there's a designer. But this man is wagering eternity on the hope that it all happened by chance. Who's flying in the face of the evidence here? Everyone has faith. Everyone has beliefs, and they base their life on that faith. They live their life a certain way. Sooner or later, you decide with your actions what you really, really believe in. And you may be right, and you may be wrong, but either way, you're going a little bit beyond the evidence. Maybe not against the evidence, but you're going beyond it. And you're, and you're wagering your whole life on it. And here's, here's the kicker. Here's the thing that just really gets me. 
is that on the best case scenario, let's say that he's right, let's say the atheist is right, on the best case scenario, the faith of the atheist turns out to be right. If he is right, here's the happy ending for the atheist, he'll never know it. He's wearing food, he'll never know it. The good news for the atheist is that life turned out to be as meaningless and empty and, and absurd as you thought it always was, and you're not around to even enjoy your rightness. See, that's... But see, yeah. But see, if the believer, if, if, the, if the person of Christian faith is right, then, number one, we will know it. And number two, it will turn out that the atheist and all who have rejected Christ, all who haven't had faith in Christ, will end up having set themselves throughout eternity against the one who is life itself, joy itself, love itself, peace itself. In other words, hell. Everything that is antithetical to what you'd want, that's what they're going to be locked into. He will know it. So it, it comes out to be this. It's kind of, this is what's sometimes called Pascal's wager. He is, I believe, betting on a horse, which even if he wins, he loses, and if he loses, he really loses. And I am betting on a horse, which even if I lose, I win. And if I win, I really win. In other words, Christians, we've got nothing to lose and everything to gain by betting on the horse of Jesus Christ. What am I doing talking about betting on horses? I've got to ask for forgiveness. I'm a Baptist preacher. I'm not even supposed to. But in the end, in the end, we all, to continue this ungodly analogy, we all bet the farm on something. That's what faith is all about. We all live in a certain way and... We are betting that reality is a certain way, that there is or is not a God, that Jesus Christ is real or not, that the Bible is the word of God or not. And the question is, what do you, what do you, what, what do you, what do you bet the farm on? What are you betting it all on? What, are, what is all your hope put into? That, all other things being equal, is why I believe it is most reasonable to believe in God, to believe in Jesus Christ and to believe in the Bible. But all other things aren't equal. All the evidence is in favor, I submit to you, can't go into it now. All the evidence is in favor of believing in God and believing in Jesus and believing in the Bible. But we still haven't talked about faith. Faith is when you not only believe in God and believe in Jesus and believe in the Bible, but you bet the farm on it. You put in all your poker chips. <laughs> this is why it's a doggone good thing that you guys, I'm not up there teaching your kids, you know. <laughs> Mommy, today we learned that we're supposed to bet all of our chips, you know. <laughs> Call us bluff and raise them one. Um, <laughs> And the way that you bet the farm is by letting the belief get on the inside. Belief is about what happens between your ears. Faith is about what happens in your life. When you take the belief, okay, I can believe in God or not. I can believe in Jesus or not. I can believe in the Bible or not. Now I'm going to let that belief get on the inside of me. I'm going to start to let it uh, form who I am. Faith goes beyond belief at just the point where belief starts to get under your skin. And it's no longer a theoretical thing. But it begins to color the way you look at the world, the way, you, the way you look at yourself, the way you look at your life, the way you look at your spouse, the way you look at your kids. It begins to color what you do with your time, what you do with your money. Faith, faith goes beyond belief at just the point where it begins to make a difference in how you actually live in the world, how you actually think about the world. When Jesus gets on the inside and the Word of God begins to get on the inside, and it becomes a hypostasis and it becomes a pragmaton. It becomes a substantial reality, something that's really real to you. It's not just a theoretical belief. God is real. He's not just a theoretical hypothesis. And Jesus Christ is real. He's not just an interesting historical figure. And the Bible, as the Word of God, is really real. Now, now you're moving into the area of faith. You see, it's possible that you can believe in God and believe in Jesus and believe in the Bible, but you got what James says is a dead faith. 
You believe it merely theoretical. It's not a hypostasis. It's not a pragmaton. It's not something that really changes your life. If you were to subtract these beliefs out of your life, you'd live exactly the way you live now, or at least pretty much the way you live now. It's a, you believe in Jesus Christ the way I believe in the superposition of a quantum particle being invariant on an ontological instead of an epistemological level. And what good is that? In fact, not only is it possible, but all the Gallup polls we've ever done on this show us that most Americans believe just like that. It's a belief. What the belief means is that if you ask them the question, what do you believe, this is the answer they'll give. But if you're looking for something in terms of how, in terms of how it actually cashes out and the way they think about the world, the way they think about the ultimate reality and their values and their priorities and whatnot, it makes very, very, very little difference. It fulfills the prophecy that we found in 1 Timothy. Then in the latter days, there'll be a people who have a form of godliness but deny the power of it. In other words, they say it, they say it, they affirm it, they confess it, but it makes no difference in how they actually live. It is, I submit to you, the American heresy. Believism. Believism. And what we need to really, and at this point I'm going to get a little bit heavy, because the Bible gets heavy, we need to really hear the book of James. And it tells us that that kind of faith does no good. It's dead faith. It's a corpse faith. It's a, it, it's a cliche. It's saying, oh, be well, be fed, and doing nothing about it. it does, you don't really mean it because you're not doing anything about it. If you really wanted the person to be well fed, you'd do something about it. If you really cared that they were homeless, you'd do something about it. If you really believed the school was on fire, if you had faith the school was on fire, you would run. The affirmation without the reality means that the affirmation is dead. It's useless. It's believism. Demons do that much. The devil believes, James tells us, in God. He's got all the correct theology in the world, but he has no faith. That's the difference. Faith is the hypostasis of things that you're hoping for. It's the pragmaton of things that you do not see. It's on the inside and the outside. Seeing it as a, as, a, as a substantial reality, as an evident reality, and then living it out in your life. We'll be saying more about that in two weeks. Let me put the cookies on the bottom shelf. And, and, uh, uh, and, and really, I didn't mean that to be funny. I, I'm, I just want to really get this. No more Greek words. Here's what it means. Practical. Oh, good. Now, 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 now you're going to tune in. <laughs> thought I was up here speaking in tongues. <clears throat> What's the difference between the way that a mere believer and a person of faith looks? Or a mere believer and an atheist, um, on the one hand, and a person of faith on the other hand, because a mere believer who just holds it theoretical, theoretically is a functional atheist, or at least mostly a functional atheist. They live as though, this is what they really have faith in, they live as though it were not true that God existed, that Jesus Christ was our highest priority, that the Bible is the word of God, even though they affirm it. That's a mere believer. And let's ask the question, how, did, how does it look different between a mere believer and a person of faith, or an atheist and a person of faith? Take, for example, the issue of time. You can tell what, uh, what is important, what a person really has faith in. What is a substantial reality? What do they think about concretely in their head? What moves them? What drives them? What transforms them? You can tell that by asking the question, where do they put their time? What do they invest their time in? The most precious commodity, we have a finite amount of it, and none of us know how much we have. So we tend to spend it on what we think is important. If a person believes that golf is important, they'll have time for golf. If a person believes that running is important, I used to love to run. I always found time to run. If I had to get out of bed at 4 in the morning to run, I would get out of bed at 4 in the morning to run. You make time for it because it's important to you. You think about it. I can picture myself out there. I picture the race. I picture myself training for the race. I picture myself winning the race. I want that. I picture myself if I didn't run, if I was out of condition, losing the race. I don't want that. That substantial reality gets me out of bed at 4 in the morning to go out and train. Granted, I was an idiot at the time. But still, the point... (laughs) You get the point. I've since gotten normal, okay, and, and I, I've, I've learned my lesson. 
Okay, what you, you, yeah, whatever it is, if, if, if making money is important to you, you find time for it. If family's important, you find time for it. You just don't have time for the things that really aren't that important. So a mere believer or an atheist, they're functionally the same thing. What tends to be important is me. Me, myself, my convenience, my comfort, my fun, uh, you know, my reputation, me, me, me. That's what the Bible calls flesh. So you make time for that. The majority of people, whether they are in the church or out of the church, spend most of their time on themselves. By most, I don't mean 51%, I mean 99%. They have time for that. They make time for that. The person of faith for whom the things of God is not theoretical, but they really are committed to it, they're invested in it, they're betting the farm, they ask the question, Lord, I have a finite amount of time. Uh, what's supposed to be most important is you and doing your work in the kingdom. What would you have me do with my time? How should I use my finite amount of time? Uh, how would you? And of course, he wants you to have some time on your own. Uh, we need time. I go nuts if I don't have time alone. I go nuts so. I need time alone. I need time to relax. We all need that. The question is, is, is that how you spend all your time? What would the Lord have you do with your time? The person for whom the things of God are a substantial reality and an evidence reality, and, and they really see the world in these terms, they find time for prayer because prayer is mandatory in Scripture. They find time for church because church is mandatory in Scripture. That's a very important thing. The book of Hebrews, chapter 13, says, Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some to do. Uh, that's a priority there. The, the mere believer or the atheist, they're functionally the same thing, you know. Uh, if they are tired, they don't go. There's no commitment there. It's a matter of convenience if they go at all. To the person of faith, it has a higher priority than that. Time for ministry. Since the quality of our life is judged by the difference we make in the kingdom of God, you ask the question, how can I be involved in ministry? Some of the ministry, of course, will be to your family and to your spouse and, and maybe to your neighborhood, whatever. Some of the ministry might be helping neighbors helping neighbors. Uh, getting involved, we're getting a lot of opportunities. There's no shortage of opportunities to go out there in the streets and begin to make a difference. Do you have time for it? Americans never have time, not the mere believers, not the atheists. A person of faith says, you know what, this is a priority, and I may have to sacrifice a little bit, but I've got to make time. You know where a person's priority is, not by asking them. What do you think is the most important thing in life? Jesus. Okay, now let's, now let's watch. And see if that's the answer that is, is a substantial reality. Is that a re, re, really? You want to say really? Is that really? Don't ask about, don't, don't get it from their mouth, get it from their life. Second thing that we can tell a person's priorities from is their money. What do they do with their time? What do they do with their money? See, a mere believer and an atheist they will spend their money like most Americans spend their money. 97 to 98% of everything we earn, we spend on ourselves. We have a standard of living that is four and a half times the global average. We still spend 97 to 98% of our income on ourselves. But the average American gives less to charitable causes and to church than do people, the average person in, in, in second world countries, in developing countries. We're the fourth wealthiest nation, uh, and yet in terms of our percentage of giving, we're down about halfway down the globe. Okay, what does that tell about us? What's important to us? Well, what's important to us is us. That's, that's the American way. It's called the American dream. And you're systematically brainwashed to think that way with every commercial you see on TV, with every magazine that you read. The question is, will that define your faith or will God define your faith? What do you do with your money? Mere believer or atheist says, well, my money is mine. I earned it. I deserve it like my time. I'm Lord of my time and I'm Lord of my money. I will do with it what I want. And it makes me feel good to give some away, so I will give some away. The believer has got to ask a different question, and that is this. God, all time belongs to you, and all money belongs to you. How would you have me steward it? 
What would you have me to do? A new house comes up on the market. And you, you look at it and you think, well, that's a nice house. That would give us more room, give us more space, you know, da 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 all the things that would be cool. We've always wanted a house like this right by the lake. And we can afford it. We worked it out. We can afford it. The mere Christian and the atheist says, therefore, I buy it. It's the American way. If you can afford it, you get it. The person of faith for whom the things of God, the will of God, the warfare that's going on around us, if that's real to you, you ask another question on top of that. You do ask those questions, but you ask another question on top of that, and that is this. God, is it your will that I get it? Is it your will that I get it? Or would you rather have me take the money that I could have used there and steward it in a different direction? Because when all is said and done, when, when, when eternal, eternity settles upon us, how nice a house you had and whether you had a boat or whether you had a nice car or whatever is not going to amount to a hill of beans. But what you invested in the kingdom of God, that's, you're going to take with you forever in the kingdom of God. So the question is, God, what would you have me to do with this? Now, God is our Father and he loves to bless us, so he might say, you know what, get the house. He does that. I, I, I want you to bless it. You know, go ahead. I changed water into wine. There's a lot of other things I could have done. It was a superfluous addition. Go ahead. But the Lord might say, well, actually the house was just there to get you to uh, do a scrutiny on the fact that you actually have a lot more money available than, than you thought you did. You squeezed it out for the house. Now I've got a ministry I want you to invest in. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> you see, God does that sometimes. Be open to it. Is this real to you? When we talk about warfare, is that real? Or is that just a theoretical thing? When we talk about God, when we talk about the presence of God, when we talk about ministry, when we talk about the kingdom of God, is that real to you? Or is that just theoretical? What do you do with your time? What do you do with your money? The, 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 the faith mindset we'll see as we go through, through uh, uh, Hebrews 11. In every instance, the quality of faith is judged by the sacrifice it leads a person to make. How countercultural does it make you? Do you buy in with the American dream and the stream of things? Or do you have an internal reality, a substantial reality, that leads you to swim upstream in a different current? And how do you live? How do you live? The, what is your ethics? The atheist or the mere believer, they're functionally the same. They do what they want to do it, when they want to, how they want to. Uh, premarital sex feels so normal, and our culture certainly thinks it's okay, so you go for it, you know? And yeah, I, I believe in the Bible, but, you know, I don't, I don't think I believe in that verse. You know, it's the kind of thing. Or, or if you even get that far, you see. But see, the person for whom this, for the person for whom we are not playing church, the person for whom this is real, you'll struggle with your sexuality like you struggle with every other kind of sin, but there's a reality there. You want to please God. You want your life to conform to the will of God. And so instead of just asking, does it feel right? Does our culture agree with it? You ask the question, does God will it? Will this glorify God? Will this be, you know, and the person of faith says, no, God is real to me, and God knows what is Beth, and, and the inspiration of the Bible is real to me, and this is how I want to live, and this forbids premarital sex, and therefore I don't care what the culture says. I don't care how, how good it might feel. I'm going to abstain from it. I will swim upstream on this one. And that's the, what proves that the faith is alive. And I'm not talking some perfection thing here, but I'm talking what direction are you going in? What's going on in your head, which leads to the question of what's going on in your life? And so it is with the way that we use our talk. Do we gossip or not? There should be a totally different answer that the person of faith gives than the person without faith. Do you love your neighbor? Even if your neighbor is utterly unlovable, the mere believer and the atheist, they love whoever's convenient to love. And whoever's not convenient to love, they don't love, because that's normal, right? Yeah, I hate that neighbor. It makes me sick. I can't stand it. But see, if, it's, if this is real, if we're not playing church, if we're talking reality here, folks, we're in a war. The Lord tells us how to handle those things. And I read something about love your neighbor as yourself. 
Bless those who persecute you. Pray for those who seek to kill you. Love your enemies. And so the person of faith for whom this is a reality, it's God's talking to me right here. I see it. He's saying, you've got to love that neighbor. And so then I say, Lord, I don't know how I can. And he says, trust in me. Now lean upon me and let me transform you. So the person of faith prays the prayer, God, give me your character to love that neighbor with a love that I would not have in myself. A totally different response. And all of this is called being under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So the whole thing comes down to this simple question. I'm going to ask it for you. Ask it to you. I ask it to myself, and that is this. Are you a person of faith? Or are you a mere believer? Holy Spirit, let that land here. Are you a person of faith? Or are you a mere believer? Or to what degree are you one or the other? And most of us, if we're honest, are at least to some degree mere believers. And that's where we need to repent and ask that God would help us live it and think it and have it color the way we think about our life and the way we live on a minute-by-minute basis. Are you a believer or are you a person of faith? I want us to close our eyes and for one minute... I want us to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth of that question to us. What are you? Do some introspection. Father, you love us so much. You want to be on the inside in every nook and cranny. Lord, over every aspect of our being. And that's what faith is all about. Father, I pray that our motivation for moving from mere belief to faith would be that we see your love. And you don't want us to settle. And Holy Spirit, I pray that right now as we are waiting on you for just a minute, you would, Lord, we can't do it on our own. We can't just will it. We need you, Lord God, to change our hearts, to make this stuff real to us, Lord God. Forgive us from our mere belief. Lord God, create in us a substantial reality that the things of God would really be there, that it would, that we, 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 Lord God, know you as a reality and know Jesus Christ as a reality and, and obey the word of God as a reality, Lord God. Make it real to us, Lord. Help us to think about it. Let it transform our life. In Jesus' name, I come against every spirit of apathy and lethargy that would cause us to relax in an unsaved state of mere belief. In Jesus' name. And Lord, I ask now that as we're dismissed, you talk to any person here who needs to come forward and either accept you as, as Lord and Savior and put their faith in you, or maybe, Lord God, just to get prayed for, to get delivered out of their mere belief. Lord God, convict them right now. Let them know who they are, who need to come forward. And as we go out of this place, Lord God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be enlivening our faith. Make our faith alive. Lord God, make it alive. Lord God, stir it up. Breathe in, resuscitate us, Lord God. Resuscitate us, Lord God, that our faith would be evident in the way that we think and the way that we live. We give you all the glory and all the praise. And all God's people said, Amen.